That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast re-watching and dissecting Batman v Superman one minute at a time. We have arrived at minute 103, a minute that I think will be discussed differently than if this podcast had come out immediately following the film's release, but let's not get too far ahead <laughs> and let's start by saying, I guess we're picking up right after... Perry has asked Lois, still no Kent? Lois says no. And now, Minute 103 begins. For 20 Americans, he didn't see you. Same for me. I will say before we get into the, the specifics, something I found really interesting about this I, I know leading up to the Capitol bombing, I was commenting on the changing in the pacing and how they kind of went from one minute segmentation to every minute was split. And it's already started slowing down, but I think that this is a really interesting example of like, it's still split, like we're doing two scenes kind of permanent, but I can very much feel the ramp up to the Capitol bombing now is like on a full kind of decline into back kind of to that plotting pace. Yeah, like we're in the kind of going back to Bruce walking through the smoke. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the smoke. It is kind of quiet, mellow, everyone's sort of gathering their senses or losing them. <laughs> in the case of, I think I said I'll never forgive Dana Bash for acting as the mouthpiece of this anti-Superman sentiment, which is impossible i know for you and i to not hear this as i won't say mocking but certainly internalizing the external way that people talked about Zack snyder's superman and man of steel <laughs> and ultimately even to a way bigger extent batman v superman the, the words the words that she uses are here is this person with unlimited power and yet he did nothing, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> like, as if, <laughs> knowing absolutely nothing that happened and knowing that a bomb literally <clears throat> goes from being there and then blowing up. Uh, and I think even, even us and Superman fans would say, well, Superman can't stop a bomb from exploding. Like, that's, that well, is silly. That's hilarious because I just yesterday, for some reason, was reading that. Do you remember after the movie came out, there was that Vox News, like, 19 things that make absolutely no sense about... Was that, why did Superman die? I, that was one of them, but it was all, yeah. one of them was like, why didn't Superman hear the bomb? <laughs> Take I was like, I, yeah, I was like, is this like a, like, you think it's like a Looney Tunes? But I mean, I guess to be fair, the, <laughs> the, the tracking the homing, device yeah. is like, you know, we always comment on like the beeping, flashing of that, so... We've gotten two in this movie, yeah. Maybe there's like a Wiley e. Coyote bomb under Wallace's wheelchair. <laughs> But <laughs> it's like, that's not how this works. No. Um, I do. Th I, I, the note that I had for, for what she's saying about Superman here though, is something that I find really fascinating and common in news. I mean, especially like when there's any kind of partisan reporting, but just kind of unfortunately in general in news media is look at the way that she structures this statement is 
She said there's a lot of unanswered questions. Doesn't actually outright say that Superman was involved, but just kind of infers it and then follows it up with like, how can we know that he wasn't? And it's like, well, that's not your, that, that is opinionated reporting hiding behind. Well, I didn't actually say anything. I just said, how can we know? It's like, yeah, but you're putting the idea like into the ether. Yeah. One has to wonder, has Superman murdered all of these people? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying we have to question because we don't have proof that he didn't. It's like, well, but we don't have proof that anybody did or, or, or didn't. Why are we focusing the conversation on him? Like what, why is that the way the discourse is going? And you see that all the time in in the news where it'll be like, what else don't we know is my favorite that, that you'll see in like headlines and stuff all the time. They'll be like, oh, it turns out that such and such happened. What else don't we know? And it's like, well, maybe, I mean, maybe we know everything. What do you mean? Like you're suggesting there's more to it. <laughs> How do you know? I, the nerve, the nerve of the Superman guy not even feeling like he failed or screwed up or like he wasn't looking for it or like it's all his fault. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, that stuff echoes now through the, like, intervening years, almost to the point of self-parody. Like, it, it comes off as so in your face yeah. when it had yet to happen, when, when that scene played. It's wild to think I can't put myself mentally back there, but credit to the filmmakers for knowing how this film and the events in it were going to be discussed. Yeah, well, the other amazing thing about this is that, speaking of pointing out plot holes... One of, especially with the theatrical version, one of the big things that people were talking about was how it doesn't make sense that people, like, why were people blaming Superman? Why do they blame him for the desert? Why do they blame him for the Capitol? There's nothing directly pointing to him. And the Ultimate Edition, which is his director's cut, makes all of that quite a bit more clear. But in one of those ways where, like, you look back at the theatrical and it's all, it's all in there. Um, and, and part of, I think, one of the things pe people didn't understand about this movie, they would they, people would question how how are the how are the news blaming him for this? It's like, well, they're not. The whole point, sort of, is that there's this inference, and this is and it's being discussed this way, despite like the the lack of evidence. And I find it really interesting how during as this is happening, and you have her like for example, she says he has unlimited power, and he didn't stop the bomber, and then it shows people watching on TV. And who is it? Who does it choose to show reacting to the the outrage and the protests against Superman? You have like the media saying or inferring that Superman was involved, and then you have like these construction workers watching the screen and shaking their head no, like they're like no, I don't buy it. The like the news isn't on his side, or you're not there. It's not showing. You know, obviously like Lex isn't on her side, but it's not even showing Bruce's reaction to the situation, right? We've already seen that, and we know that he's against him. It's showing like working class people and and the the people that Superman is supposed to be defending or protecting. Right, they're the ones that don't believe it because they're like, no, I'm the one he's helping, and you guys are are demonizing him. We retrace Clark's trip to Gotham, where we show we go to the ferry and show the passengers, and there are people in yeah work unif uniforms, you know, like roughneck uh, working class people. Have to give a call out to Harvoye Kletz, who <laughs> is the one who raises the hand to his mouth. Like, oh my word. Like, it's just such a cool in incongruity of, you know, these tough working class guys. And, and he is uh, shocked to see yeah. Superman being burned in effigy and burn him, burn him. And then, yeah, like you said, we, we go to uh, Isaac Brown and Satori Shakur, who were in the apartment building that 
Clark went to. And it's cool that it was Clark who reached out to the to walk these people's steps. Like we said it at the mm-hmm. time, he didn't fly. He took the ferry and he made the trip and wanted to see and wanted to see these people as Clark. And now they are looking and seeing Superman being treated as someone who doesn't and being treated as the enemy. And there's also an interesting thing where Satori, Satori's character, the mother, her stance in the previous scene was Batman isn't to be afraid of. He only hurts people who deserve it. Mm -hmm. And she was, as as a regular figure, a mother who is unafraid of the Batman because she knows that I mean, we've been given this kind of idea, right, of the lower classes in Gotham rely on Batman because it's them that he's looking for, right? He's preying on the tenements, right? Like, he is a figure in the lower classes that some people think he is a force for good by being violent because of the people that he's being violent towards. And I don't know if it's even that she knows this isn't right because even super like this is not what happens. You don't attack senators. This is a terrorist attack. This is different. The, I I I totally I come to the same conclusion as you do, which is the media is like we've seen. Maybe he's not some savior or messiah or devil. The average people are just looking on in shock at how these things are spinning out of control. By judging by the signs, like the same people who were there protesting him. In the first place, so it's not like this sentiment was there. It's not like people are suddenly deciding to scream, burn him, burn him. It's like they just needed that extra little push. Why did they have the effigy, Stephen? Would they, (laughs) would it, does a peaceful mob bring an effigy of Superman to a protest? It's just in case, you never know. And uh, yeah, and I think that's really interesting also because you look at clearly these are people who's who they have an opinion on Superman because their lives have been benefited by him. And like I said, the people that they chose to show and the way that they're reacting compared to like the media. And I think it's interesting to kind of consider whose life has been improved by Superman or who has been saved by him. And you look at something like Metropolis and the um, the battle with Zod that went down there, kind of consider who lost anything in that battle versus who was saved. And like the people who had the le- the least to, to lose, like quote unquote, or the, who would see what happened as them being saved were the people who weren't losing buildings and and weren't you know the millionaires or or whatever that were that literally had buildings falling over like Bruce Wayne they were the people who were who were helpless and and saw what Superman was doing as as saving them instead of instead of destroying their their property or their things or whatever it's an it's an added layer like an underpinning by seeing these people on the ferry presumably going to or from work. So like the idea of Gotham and Metropolis being this divided, you know, two separate worlds by putting them across the bay was one thing, but now, you know, they they literally share people. Just that, like it's a subtle I guess I always understood that to be the case, but but calling it out is really neat. It's also really weird. I realized in in watching this and looking at who these actors were that the first time Clark goes onto the deck of the ferry, we didn't mention it at the time, but there appears to be what could be a same-sex kiss, 
when when Clark is coming up the stairs, and I was looking to see these actors if I could spot them. There are two figures dressed in like the same clothes as these people on this ferry, just kissing each other. It's impossible to tell their gender, but at a passing glance, one might think these are two men either going to or from work, I guess, uh, or a married couple. Who knows? Kissing. The idea of taking a moment to add the only other depiction of actual romance is among the working class people of the city who are literally like pushed to the outside of the frame. Yeah, yeah. And that's back in the original fairy scene, you're saying? That's, yeah, where Clark is coming up onto the deck of the ship. And we didn't mention it at the time, so I'll mention it now. (laughs) As you said, we make our switch from this Superman fallout to where did Superman go? Yeah, and I find it interesting that you were just emphasizing the fact that he went and walked the, the streets of Gotham or when he took the ferry instead of, you know, flying. And now we see yeah. a, an even maybe bigger example of his effort to ground himself, I guess, literally. I, I have mad respect for Henry Cavill because he walks in snow the way that you have to walk in snow. <laughs> yeah. So it's very real that this is like one little step at a time. I believe this is Aconcagua, and you can excuse my pronunciation there, which is one of the tallest but the deadliest peak in in South America. So that's some added context for the characters saying, I'll I'll call them out here, Uh, Alma Alma Martinez is in the background, uh, and Sal Lopez is the hero of this sequence who says that he came here to die. Two actors who have been in a ton of stuff. Uh, and it is Marcel Day who says, you know, for $20, we didn't see you. If you really came here to die, as apparently this is not the first time that someone has done this. It's it's interesting in that it is clearly a peak in the way that it's presented as, I don't know, I, it's like, did Superman, this is his version of wanting to be alone. This is his version of, well, I feel like I'm facing something insurmountable, so I have to go literally face something insurmountable. Yeah, well, I think that's what's interesting is if you look at the dialogue, the the line before he comes to die is he can see the mountains not passable. It's it's one of those things where you look at the lines like that's not a accidental phrasing or accidental line inclusion. Obviously, it's this there's a lot of economy necessary here to convey what they're saying and the idea that he feels like there is a task in front of him or maybe behind him or the task that Superman has been trying to deal with. He feels is not passable. He's come to die. Oof. You're there. Like some, you're implying some biblical, like analogous, like some symbolic meaning. What are you saying there? Yeah, almost. I mean, the mountain's not passable feels, feels definitely, but definitely, you know, metaphorical. I don't think he intends it that way, but in the, you know, in the context of the movie, it is. The, the he's come to die, I think, is there's a little bit of like maybe Jesus wandering in the desert attitude to that where, you know, he needs to accept who he is. But there's also, I think, the perception of them, of these characters where they're like, nobody would be here. No human would be going where he's going unless they intended to die because it's not passable. He won't get in. He can't get out. He's going to die because they think that he's just a just a human man. Man. Okay, so they put the entire thesis of the movie in a different language. Said, <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, well done, Sal. Heck of a heck of a line read. It's a cool, cool moment, and I think it really speaks to if we're talking about like the the silence that comes in the wake of the explosion and the frenzy. 
this is like mm-hmm. no superman is literally going to like the quietest coldest right. we already had that the, a quiet moment on the scout ship with lex but it's still caught up in the middle of all the media frenzy and there's that kind of um intense or like the subtly intense score going on and then you get here and it just cuts out and it's wind and crunching snow is the, the sound it's just him and his thoughts and they think he's going to die <laughs> yeah and we go from the coldest most inhospitable grimmest place on earth to the warmest most desirable most comfortable and most well decorated yeah place on the planet which is lois and clark's apartment i was so happy i i forgot that we were <laughs> going to be back there and i when you got to this i was like yes we get to talk about lois clark's apartment again unfortunately we only get the pull in on lois and we hear the it's the same reporter from previously in the movie saying uh sources at the fbi as saying and then we don't find out yeah the minute ends before we find out what what has transpired and maybe that's for the best yeah no because i i have words for the way that he phrases the (laughs) next thing he says and i'll i'll have to reserve those for the next minute but i definitely have words for him we will be discussing both those charges and the apartment a little bit more in minute 104. As always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at BVS by the minute and everything that Snyder Minute does at Snyder Minute and support the podcast if you want to at patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. Everybody, I'm assuming if you're listening by now, you've checked one of those out. So we thank you for that. And um, let's just say that Stephen and I are going to have very strong thoughts about what we see in the next minute. And if I had to guess, they will be about very different things. So many unanswered questions, chief among them, whether Superman was involved in the planning of this attack.